Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Praise the Lord. Well, open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. You know, sometimes when I've had a really good meal, I end up coming before you and telling you about it. You ever remember those stories? Isn't it interesting that in life, we're maybe not you, maybe just me, but we're enamored by good food. And there are times where we're not so enamored with the Word of God. Because the Word of God sometimes is a little bit difficult to understand. We talked last week using Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said to the religious folks, He said, listen, you've made the Word of God of no effect by your tradition. And we learned last week that tradition fills the gap created by a lack of biblical reality. Now, I'm not opposed to traditions. I'm opposed to the lack of biblical reality. And so I think we can have traditions in our church. We can have healing lines as a tradition. You say, well, that's an awkward tradition. We can have communion as a tradition. But if you do not add the power of a living faith to that, literally harvest time faith, then all you have is a tradition that limits the Word of God. And so we need to get past that. What, what Tracy was saying, was the, what I was hearing, was the lack of harvest time faith. Literally the reality of an unseen intent of God made substantive. Literally a living presence on the inside of us that no one or nothing can shake from. It's the I know that I know that I know that I know. It's that. It's that substance of faith that says, I'm going to walk this way. And, and tradition has been handed down over the... I went to a traditional church. It was handed down over the years through, through some written thing. I mean, many of you went to a church where you had some form of a catechism or a, a training that, that prepared you to receive communion. I did. I went to a traditional church, went through the jumping through the hoop thing so I could take communion. But nobody explained to me, or I didn't get it, that communion was a representative of a living entity. I mean, they didn't attach the faith to it. They said, here's what we do. I was baptized. Well, in my case, I was sprinkled. And I just want to tell you right now, all that did was get my face wet. I'm not opposed to baptism. I'm opposed to the lack of biblical truth behind it. You can get wet all you want. It won't fix your problems. The reality of Jesus Christ will fix your problems, and possibly you will celebrate that in the tradition of baptism. Not, well, baptism did it. I guess I got it. No, it won't help you. You can sleep in your garage and you'll never become a car. See, we got to get to that place where we begin to understand these things and begin to press in. Here's Jesus talking to his disciples. You know, they, 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 I just, I just love that Jesus 
either introduces a subject that no one's prepared to receive or asks a question of somebody that no one's prepared to answer. And I'm going to show you some of that today. But in John chapter 4, look what he says. He says, uh, uh, in the meantime, now, you know, this is, this is in context from last week. But in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. Well, the reason was is because in their experience... Or in their tradition, when Jesus opened his mouth and invited people, they overstayed their welcome. They stayed and stayed and stayed. And he would always say, well, you feed them. And in this case, they said, hey, Rabbi, you need to eat. Why? Because these people are going to be here for a long time, hanging on every word that you say. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. He said, listen, I have one of the best meals that you're completely unprepared to understand. I have food. See, you come to church and you say, oh, man, that was good, Pastor. But when you, by the time you get to the restaurant of your choice or home to eat whatever you're going to eat, you couldn't tell three people what you learned today. Because the tradition of church has missed out on the power of the person of Jesus. Well, he said, well, I we went to church. We checked that box as if God's paying attention to the box when he's not. He says, I have food. You know, I've told you lots of stories. I still, to this day, sometime tonight after my, my, my world begins to slow down, I will go to the Crumble Cookie app to find out what they're cooking for cookies for the next week. Doesn't mean I'm going to go buy any, but man, do I love a good meal. I love it. If I'm ever close to my lazy dog restaurant, I love that candied bacon and the peanut butter and jelly hamburger with tater tots. Oh, it's so good. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. I, listen, I gave, I gave Pastor Terry and, 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 and uh, Sister Pat an experience of their lifetime. I said, come on, go with us. We're going to the best restaurant on the planet. They got in the car and we went. And I convinced them. Now Terry's my friend forever. Because he, tr now listen, you laugh at that, but see, in some ways he trusts my choice of food. We found a crumble cookie that's next door to a Starbucks. Life was complete. But we do that in the world, but we don't do it spiritually. And when Jesus said, I have food, that you don't even know about. And then he said, my food, what I get substance from and sustenance from is to do the will of him who sent me. We've missed it. We've missed it. I, however you see me as your pastor, the older I get, there is only one thing and one thing only that I'm sure of. God sent me here. God sent me here. You say, how do you know that? Well, first of all, because he's kept me here. I mean, I'm working backwards. But every once in a while, I run into the devil. And the devil tries to steal my food. Now, he doesn't have to eat my hamburger. He tries to steal my food. Through life circumstances. You all have followed our life. We try and live transparently before you. I will tell you that when we are busy like this in, in personal family crises, I have less time to, to develop a message. 
The devil tries to steal my food. I have food he doesn't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then he said, and this is still attached, do not say there are still four months. Now, I'm going to say that this agricultural industry that was going on during Jesus' time, that they knew, and evidently that was kind of at the beginning of the planting season, and they knew that 120 days later they had to harvest whatever it was that they'd put in the ground. They knew the process. But he said, don't say that. Why? Because it's not about that harvest. That's, an, uh, that's a, that's a sideshow to what God's called us to do. He said, listen... I say to you, lift up your eyes. Take your eyes off of the natural. Here's what else it means. It means take your eyes and your understanding off the weight. Four months to the harvest. Take your eyes off the weight. That's so important. You know there's no clocks in heaven. There's no, don't, when, when people put up that little graphic, you know, it's like two minutes to midnight and the, tra and the tribulation and all the terrible stuff ha happens in two minutes. There's no clock up there. The whole of the time frame of, of heaven is the person of Jesus Christ. See, if you'll take your eyes, we say, well, I don't have much time left. That's not true. That's not true at all. There's no time frame in heaven. I mean, if there is, then Jesus is seriously deceived because he said he'd be back soon. Okay, well, counting, a couple, couple thousand years, still counting. And people who are way smarter than me write books and say, well, see this? And they think they know because they're marking the time with human understanding of spiritual things. Can I point out to you that Jesus is coming back because God knows when. Just watch. And by the way, he'll get your attention. Because he promised he would split the sky. That's, that's got to be, that's gotta be a, a huge show. Okay. When we were in, 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 uh, at the kids' uh, most recently, um, across the street and down one, two, three. Across the street and down three houses, that house got struck by lightning. We had the back door to their house pointed, so it's like 100 yards or less to their house. That lightning hit so hard that it shook our insides. You think when God splits the sky and disrupts the environment that we've come to trust, when he moves apart the air molecules and pulls back the curtain of heaven, you think you might notice? I mean, lightning like to think, make me think I was going to die. I mean, I jumped. I'm old. I don't jump anymore. But yet, we look at those things through human terms. He said, lift up your eyes. Don't say they're still... Forget the wait for just a second. God always has a harvest that is ready. Isn't that good? He said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Notice that God has multiple fields of harvest. 
multiple fields of harvest. Why is that important? Because you're not called to harvest all of them. You'll see the harvest. I see the harvest. Okay. Right now we're working behind the scenes. I'm working with some young pastors because I'm not young anymore. I don't know how they think. And I refuse to graduate from ministry being cynical. So I've got me some young people who I'm asking questions of so I can understand the generation under them. Because why would we send a 20-year-old to a seminary being taught by a 50-year-old who learned from an 80-year-old who learned from a 120-year-old? Sooner or later, somebody missed the cultural transformation that happens in the world. And we're teaching as if every method that worked 100 years ago works today. And it doesn't. Why? Because we forgot to look up. We were taught to look up at the harvest that the generation before us were enamored by. Thank you for your enthusiasm. He says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. Here's your quote. Harvest time faith lifts his eyes to see the intended harvest made available by God. Traditional faith will not do that. Traditional faith will look at you and see what humans think you need. Harvest time faith will look up and they'll see what God is preparing to pour out by harvest. It'll help you see the world better. Now notice if you would please in Hebrews chapter 11... Just to give you, now I'm, I'm really just re-emphasizing uh, and, and preaching through what I tried to preach through last week. But there was such an odd anointing last week to, to do that. I just let fly uh, with what God was saying. And I'm trying to be a little bit more specific so that you can leave here today with an understanding of harvest time faith. And eventually I will get to these four Things that only harvest time faith has an effect on. Natural faith doesn't have an effect on this. I'm going to show you those things here pretty quick. But look at Hebrews chapter 11 and let me just take you through this. Now notice it says in the first verse, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'll get, just leave that up brother, that's fine. The substance, notice it says it's a substance in Hebrews 11.1 1, of things hoped for. There is no such thing as false hope. Hope becomes a substantive spiritual function inside of you that God rests faith on. When you hope for a better day, God will rest faith on that. You say, oh, I don't believe that. That's why you keep having terrible days. And the evidence of things not seen. Notice he doesn't give you those things based on relationships that are horizontal, but rather based on things that can't be seen. So you must take leave of your seen senses. You've got to look differently. You've got to look according to what the Bible seems to suggest is God's reality. And you have all kinds of those things. And pastors, bless our hearts, we use all that self-serving stuff like, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, 
shaken together, running over. What a great offering. Do you understand that if you don't see your cup running over, you won't recognize the need to dump the cup out to get more. See, you'll just say, oh yeah, just running over. Dump it out, because God will fill your cup. In fact, get a bigger cup. Borrow another 55-gallon drum like the woman with the oil thing in, in Elijah's day. He said, go out and borrow a, a vessel and not a few. She filled her house with empty barrels. And the quarter cup of oil that she had in the little, little curate thing that she was pouring that out of didn't run out till they ran out of buckets. And God said, now sell it, pay, pay what you owe, and live on the rest. God provided for that person more than they needed and enough to retire on. Of course, nobody wants to talk about that because you know there's a whole bunch of people who have abused the idea of prosperity. Abuse of truth doesn't change truth. It just means people are stupid. Oops, did that come out? Now faith is, now look at verse number two, for by it, by what? The faith that was supported by the substance of hope and evidenced by things that aren't seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders obtained, they acted under the influence of that faith. They obtained a good, they acted under the influence of that faith being talked about. In verse number one, that's harvest time faith. When God says, lift up your eyes and look into heaven and see the fields that are white unto harvest, he's asking you to do that and to obtain a testimony of that. I am so grieved by the testimony of the world's churches who only give testimony of what humans can do. You know, if you get enough rich people to come to your church, your church won't have any needs. And I will tell you, as a, as a long-term pastor, you've got to fight that idea that you need rich people to give a lot. I just want to tell you right now, if you don't think you can afford to give, you're in the right church. Because if you don't handle the $5, you won't handle the $50. If you don't handle the $50, you won't handle the $500. If you don't handle the $500, you won't handle the $5,000. If you don't handle the 5,000, you won't handle the 50,000. Have I gotten big enough yet? If you don't handle the, the 50,000, you won't handle the 500,000. Now we're in lottery territory. See, what happens is you've got to obtain a good testimony by the faith that God rests on the hope that is evidenced by what can't be seen. People turn that into a financial thing. But I'm telling you, you should turn it into whatever you can see in God's Word. They obtained a good testimony. Do you know that these people, this Hall of Fame in faith people, they died without ever actually seeing what they saw in heaven on earth? <laughs> and yet, they're being honored as the most faith-filled people in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because they saw something and they moved towards it. Women received their children back from the dead. That's a great testimony. Rahab the harlot is in here. Noah built a boat. 
What's a boat? You, you, you understanding there are some issues here that are difficult. And they looked up and they saw something different. All right, turn with me then, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Here's where we were last week, and I'm sorry that, that I'm not really sorry. I'm just apologizing for something to say. I wished I was sorry. I'm not. You cannot combat these four things with natural faith. You cannot. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Let me put that in John chapter 4 terminology. Lift up your eyes first before you judge what you can see. Seek that and its righteousness and the kingdom of God's righteousness, the righteousness based on the behavior of Jesus Christ. Seek that first and all these things shall be added unto you. He says that verse in context of eight or ten verses about worry. You cannot combat worry by natural faith. Because all natural faith will do is look first at what can be seen this way. Right? If you look in the cupboard and there ain't enough stuff there according to you, you'll become poor and hungry. Whether you are or not. I was walking in, in Walmart the other day with my wife and I slowed down because I was eavesdropping on a conversation. Now, I know none of you ever do this, so just live inside of me for a second. And so I'm eavesdropping. This woman is, is talking on her phone and says, I haven't eaten since yesterday morning breakfast. And was asking whoever was on the other end for $20 to eat on. And was telling how hungry she was. And she was a normal American person. What I mean by a normal American person is somebody who wouldn't hurt to miss a meal. Come on, don't, give, don't look up here and be judgmental at me. We know how to enjoy our food. Right? Most of us, I might be the only man, but I don't know, most of us have more than one size of clothes in our closet. Amen. But what did he say? He said, seek first. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look first up before we identify what we can see out. Natural worry. Worry is based on what might happen. A story built not considering the intended harvest results. You cannot combat worry by natural faith. Because natural faith will look at what it sees and build a story without the intended harvest results. If you go to your cupboard and there's not enough there, open the cupboard, take a peek at it, and see what it changes inside of you. See if what you see turns you into something that you're not. I don't see enough in there. I'm poor. I might get hungry. I might even starve. If I preach too long today, people's stomach will begin to growl because they're processing the food they ate last. You're not really hungry. You don't understand the physiology of eating. But you'll say, oh, I hope he quits. Why? Because we're moved, we're governed by what we feel and what we experience. And natural faith says, somebody make it better. Please make it better. 
I don't know what's cooking in the kitchen today for carrying dinner, but normally about this time, within now and another 15 minutes, whatever's cooking in there makes its way in here. Whoo, baby. And all we can see is, oh, in 10 minutes, in 15 minutes, we're going to get to eat. I wonder what that is. And you begin to build a story based on what you can smell. Taste and see the Lord is good. He's the rose of Sharon. See, we, we can look up and change that. But what do we do? We don't. We don't look up. So worry is based on what might happen. Turn over to, to Matthew chapter 8. This is, this is combating fears. You cannot combat fear by natural faith. In fact, somebody coined a phrase using the word fear as an acronym, false evidence appearing real. Right? That's what fear is. So what fear does is take an experience out of what has not yet happened. When Jesus was in the belly of the boat sleeping, his disciples came to him and said in the 25th verse, Lord, save us, we are perishing. The story they built was one of their impending death. They saw themselves as already dead. He said, save us, we're dying. So faith is based on what has already happened in your imagination. Fear. Fear is based, sorry. I, I, if I, I think I said faith the first time and I'm not trying to confuse you here. Fear is based on what has already happened in your imagination. They were not dead. There was a little bit of water in the boat. It looks like to me, rather than coming down and having a confab with Jesus, even if you have natural understanding, pick up a bucket and throw some water back out of the boat. Do something that seems like the right thing to do. But what did they do? They began to display their imagination. See, that's why 2 Corinthians tells us, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse number 5, it says, cast down imaginations. Cast down the speculative reasoning behind your fear. See, you can't fight fear with natural faith. You have to have harvest time faith. You have to see into heaven what God has for you. Much of our world is, is, is scared out of their minds. Because they've already built a story based on imaginations. Just think back when they started telling us about COVID. People are going to die. And then they held up New York City where people live on top of each other. You know, there's, in our county, there's four people per square mile. Much of New York... Is some of the in, in, in northern New Jersey is is some of the most populated areas in, in America. In some cases, eight to ten thousand people per square mile. We didn't even have that many people in our county, and we certainly are not living on top of each other. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they represent this worst case scenario to you, and we begin to buy into that at least for a moment, because of the imagination that it creates. If you listen to the news reports today, 
Evidently, gas prices are going higher. If you buy into that with fear, you'll build a story that says you will not have enough money to buy gas to do what you think you're supposed to do. I guess I'll have to stay home. You'll build a story not based on the harvest. You'll build a story based on your fear, natural fear. Right? You, you can hear it all over the place. Well, amen. Notice if you would then, in uh, Matthew chapter 14. I didn't get quite this far last week, and so now we're just getting into some new stuff. A little bit of new stuff. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Look at verse 22. Now pay attention to the language. I don't have time to really explain this. I'll take time over the next couple of weeks. Verse number 22 says, And immediately Jesus made them get into the boat. Just look at it in your Bible. I know it's not up on it. Oh, there you got it. Good, thank you. It says immediately in the 22nd verse. Are you with me? Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. Now listen, when you look up into heaven, the instruction that God gives you comes with a provision to accomplish it. The instruction God gives you comes with the provision to accomplish it. When you begin to use your natural mind, the provision will never happen soon enough and never be enough. Because you want it, right? Why? Because we want comfort. I'm just telling you, it's a whole lot easier when there's money left at the end of the month when there's not. Right? We look at that and we got this level of comfort. Back to my story, this woman that I was listening to, she was going one way up and down the aisles and Tracy and I were going the other way. Next time around, we're on the same aisle again and so I'm listening. And evidently the person on the other end of the phone, now this person is going to starve you know, haven't had anything to eat for over a day. The person on the other end of the phone evidently asked them, well, what do you have? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? What do you have in your house? The woman with the, with the oil and, and, and the flour that was going to die. She said, I have a little flour and a, and a little oil. I'm going to make it for my, I'm gathering some sticks. I'm going to make it for my son and I, and then we're going to die. And the prophet says, well, make me a cake first. Yeah, let's, 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 let's hurry up the dying of this poor woman and her son. And so they did that. And the cruise of oil and, the, and, and the, 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 the flask of oil and the cruise of flour did not run out. Interesting. See, when God calls you, He provisions what He says. His word comes with the ability for it not to return void. Doesn't require us. So he said, go across the, the, the deal. And of course, the wind started blowing. And I just got to tell you something. When the wind blows, set your sails in the right direction and you'll get there quicker. Or complain about the wind because you think you're going to die. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. They were agitated in their minds. 
Listen to me. The reason they were agitated in their mind is because they hadn't yet figured out that go to the other side had with it the necessary provision to get there. So when they couldn't get there, they saw a ghost and they reflected what was happening on the inside of them. The fear. They were troubled. It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now I love Peter. Peter's wired somewhat the way I am. Talk a lot and then think about it. Lord, if it is you. It's always interesting to me. They heard Jesus' voice over the wind. He's walking on the water and they still have questions. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. This is not the most brilliant thing anybody's ever said. Okay? Because Jesus answered his question. Now, I got to tell you something. The last thing that you'll do for the people you're with when you get out of the boat to walk on the water is rock their boat. <laughs> When God calls you in your family to walk in a way differently, to get out of the boat and to do something that's based on heaven faith, the last thing you will do is rock the boat of the people who are with you. Got out of that little boat. Can you, honestly, I have a friend who was born in the north woods of Minnesota, and he can paddle a, a, a metal canoe standing up. He has the greatest balance. And I feel like when I sit in a canoe, I feel like I'm going to fall out any moment. Okay, any moment. I was with a guide one time in, in, on a little tributary, and I, I made the mistake. His name was Nildo. I made the mistake of telling Nildo I wanted to see an alligator. He said, I can do that. He did, that translator. In Portuguese, I can do that for you, Pastor. The only thing that you understand is Pastor. He says with a smile, I can do that. And he takes us up this little, Tracy and I, up this little tributary. And it's so pretty. And every time we go around the corner, these little butterflies, they just go everywhere and just swarm you. And so you don't notice that on the bank of the river, there's a creek you're on, are huge paw prints with claw marks in the mud. And then you realize, since you don't see the alligator, where the alligator is, is directly underneath your boat. I can do that for you, Pastor. You don't understand the consequence of your question. That's Peter. Well, if it's you, bid me to come. This is not a good idea. Jesus said, come. I think Jesus said, with some sort of interesting process inside of himself, hey, what's this? He, pro he probably said to God, hey, God, what's this? Because <laughs> you know? Peter steps out on the water. Everybody in the boat grabs a hold because he's getting out and it's rocking the boat. And then he starts walking. Everybody's looking at him going, well, now look at there. He's walking on the water. But then look at verse number 30. But when he saw... That the wind was boisterous. Yeah, that should make a difference. So, when it's boisterous, it's strong. It's, they already knew that it was strong and powerful. It was rocking the boat. They were scared. But what it really means is, when he considered, 
the wind. When he used the wind as the governing force of his life, he saw it and said, what did he do? He wasn't looking up at the harvest. He was looking this way. And when he saw it, he literally governed his work and he began, and that's the word, he began to sink. That word began there literally means to start plus the word to govern. He started being governed by what he saw. Wow. Why did he doubt? Look at it. Verse 31, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Now listen to me. Doubt is based on what is happening competing with the Lord's intent in harvest. See, you're not supposed to be able to walk on water. Anybody with half a brain knows that. But walking on the water should never be affected by you seeing wind. The wind has nothing to do with your ability to walk on water. Now, I don't ad ad advocate that you do this because if you did, you'd fill your bathtub up inside your house. And because there's no wind, you could walk on it. But that's not true. See, he's trying to show us some principles here. And why did they doubt? He, his doubt began or functionally made this speculative reasoning and he considered it. And it, it takes what's happening and competes with what God has said or what God's harvest is. Are we together? That's what doubt does. Next week, we're going to talk about human reasoning at great length. Because the next thing that natural faith won't do is it will not compete, it will not defeat natural reasoning. Sometimes we're just too smart for our own good. Right? Let me leave you with this as the music team moves. I don't know how many of you have ever trusted the gauges of your car. Now, my car tells me how many miles I have left on the gas. Right? If you get in it, you turn it on, it'll say 112 miles to empty. My temptation is to drive the 112 miles. So I did that one day with my car out here. Now, we didn't have any gas out here. But it's only 12 miles to Yuma. But that was out of my way. So I decided, based on human reason, that the car said it would go far enough. But it wouldn't. I parked at what is now that Mexican restaurant, and a car would go no more. Because it was out of gas. Human reasoning told me it should be able to do that. See, that's how we approach God many times. He's God. He should be able to do that. And so next week, we're going to press in to human reasoning. Because much of the time, we use human reasoning as the basis for our faith. That's what we think. But let me just tell you something. When you and I debate and come to a conclusion about who God is, how God is... It doesn't make who God is. He's already those things. Human reason doesn't fix your problem. And it will never fix your problem. But spiritual reason will show you what God has already planned for you. Amen? 
stand with me, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, we recognize today that your word has these stories, these interesting times, Father, where we recognize that you evidently put that in there to show us some things so that we would consider differently. Jesus said in John's hearing, I got food you don't know about. Then he said, lift up your eyes. He, he took their concentration and put it on something completely different. When Peter walked on the water, he took his concentration and immediately put it on Jesus because it was Jesus until he changed his concentration, his dedication of sight to what he could see. And then he began to be governed by what he could see. God, I don't believe that's how you want us to live. So today, Father, as we just contemplate the truth of your word, the possibilities that these principles exist so that we might live differently today than we lived yesterday, that we might see things differently today than we did yesterday, that we might find ourselves in a position of receiving from you differently than we did yesterday. For we know that natural faith, normal faith, will not combat these things to the place of victory. So we thank you today, Father, you've given us some ammunition to walk differently because harvest faith can see what God intends and can choose to live there. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.